WSL Nation. Welcome again. We're not going to waste any time. I'm Steve Schwartzman. I'm going to jump right into it to our resident soccer savant, Mike McPhee. Hey, Mike, do you want to talk about Morgan Weaver? Hey, Steve, let's talk about Morgan Weaver. This was a big deal. This was a big deal, right? This was huge. It was pandemonious. It was historic. It was unexpected. Mike, Morgan Weaver went down the slide. Went down the slide. Just when you thought it wasn't going to happen. It's Mike, let's actually talk about soccer now. How are you doing? Doing well, Steve. Yeah, if anyone should be in a good mood, it should be you. Oh, I've been in a great mood. Well, this has been fun. The quarterfinals are now done and dusted. We're moving into the semifinals. We're moving from Zions Bank Stadium in Harriman to Rio Tinto Stadium, the home of Royals FC over in Sandy, Utah. We're saying goodbye to the farm and the playground and potentially the glare and a lot of stuff that Twitter has made fun, but we're moving on to newer pastures. This has been a definitely interesting quarterfinal, to say the least. We had an 8-1 upset to kick off the quarterfinal. The Portland Thorns overtake the up-to-that-point undefeated North Carolina Courage. 1-0 on a goal by Morgan Weaver in the 68th minute off of an assist from Rocky Rodriguez. This is on top of Britt Eckerstrom having, and this had a lot of competition in this quarterfinal, the best-keeping performance of the whole tournament. This was a quarterfinal full of great keepers. Just amazing performances across the board in just about every single net. Eckerstrom was phenomenal. Had some saves that seemed nearly impossible. And then keep in mind, Eckerstrom, too, is the sub of the sub. Bella Bixby tears her ACL. Eckerstrom jumps in after not really carrying a lot of minutes in this tournament. This was her first appearance in in a year. She plays behind AD French, and then this, this tournament. French gets injured before the tournament. Bella Bixby comes in. Performs really well, tears for ACL in practice. So this is the first time Britt Eckerstrom has seen minutes. The keepers have been the legends of this first stage of the knockout round. The scores tend to take up a bulk of the discussion in the lead up, and it tends to be the keepers who shine. A great keeper can really spell the difference between a good team and a great team. I want to jump into North Carolina and ask you a straight-up question because we talked about the frustration of their roster choices in the fourth and final matchup against Sky Blue. Did their decision to continue to roll out a bulk of their starters in their fourth game, did that play a role in them getting an early out in the quarterfinal? I think it's possible. It was interesting to see North Carolina play because I don't think they played poorly. No. That explosive, fast attack that they're known for. It was firing on all cylinders. Dabinia and Lynn Williams in particular had so many quality shots. In fact, in every single statistic, the courage in shots, shots on target, crosses, they almost doubled the Thorns' chances. So it's not like they were playing poorly. There was a few miscues, a few passes that went that went off, a few shots that sailed over or, or were misplaced, but it's not like their offense wasn't just locked in on the attack. Maybe that factored into it, but I think you have to give a ton of credit to Portland's defense, particularly Eckerstrom, but even they were playing shorthanded because we had that collision between Lynn Williams and Kat Reynolds where Reynolds goes off. So you've got a young, inexperienced Portland backline. I don't even know how, but somehow contains the courage attack. Everything you're saying is enlivening so many questions I had and so many things that got frustrated because we talk about the Cat Reynolds and Lynn Williams collision. Of course, Cat Reynolds goes out. Lynn Williams stays in. 
gets bandaged, stays in. She was basically getting limbs torn off and still playing elite soccer to the very last whistle. Not just her resilience in the face of, you know, injuries, because she's always the first one. Like, her pace is insane. She's Mm -hmm. always the first one up the pitch. Her speed, her versatility, the fact Mm -hmm. that she has that kind of endurance is mind-blowing to me. I think some injuries played a role here. The one thing that was questionable that almost became a frustration, especially if you're not a Courage fan in this case, was extra time. There was a heavy amount of extra time at the end of the game, five minutes, but we've seen that. They were given nine minutes of extra time in the first half. And yes, there was injury stoppage time. There was penalty stoppage time. There's a lot of reasons to hand out that. But nine minutes was exorbitant. And and nine minutes was pretty much the reason why we didn't see Lindsay Horan in the second half. She got... She got injured near the end of the first half. That adds to me how improbable this result was. I had texted you, and I just kind of, with her end gone, I was like, I just don't see how they do this. If you go back to the opening match at the tournament, where the Thorns and the Courage played to a draw right up until about the last minute of stoppage time, and then you had that stoppage time goal from Lynn Williams, suddenly we have nine minutes of stoppage time. It almost felt like they were certainly going to score. They came very close. North Carolina definitely were finding their spots. I think something that has to be noted in this case, you could easily argue Portland played the best defensive game any team has played so far since we've been doing this in the last month. Obviously, everything comes back to Eckerstrom, who who was just playing like a woman possessed, someone who was doing anything she could to see to it that things weren't hitting goal, people disrupting passes. Finally, defenders being cognizant of North Carolina's crosses. I mean, how many times have we seen that? And that was was huge to me. I do want to speak to a narrative, though, really quick. As we roll into the 68th minute, I'm going to take you back, Mike, to January 16th of this year. Okay. And before the 16th, the Thorns, essentially, they lose Caitlin Ford, they lose Emily Sonic, they lose Midge Purse. You know, they end up with the two top picks in the draft. And a lot of people were saying, well, this is a team that's in pure rebuilding mode. They clearly are giving up. Why are they doing this just for these draft picks? This all feels justified when they can't scrape together a win in the first four games before the knockout round. And people are handing this over to North Carolina. You and I did. Of course, yeah. Both of us very reluctantly said, this is going to be a North Carolina win. How could it not be? And it's the second pick. The Wazoo Cougar in the 2020 draft, Morgan Weaver, who finds the right spot. And that's been the fun part of this tournament. You've seen a lot of young players. Sierra King had that phenomenal tying goal in Utah's first game against Houston. You see what Morgan Weaver has been able to put together. There's been a lot of cool examples of players that have found ways to step up. This was a fun moment where so many people spent so much time questioning this decision for Portland. And yes, clearly as Portland saying, we're setting ourselves up for the future. It might feel like a short-term loss. We're looking for a long-term gain. But wasn't it so much fun to watch this end up being decided off the feet of a rookie? I just thought it was a cool moment. That was so exciting because you look to veteran players like Christine Sinclair or Lindsey Horan, reliable scorers that have struggled to score. Obviously, Portland without a win going into that game. So to see Weaver, who's had a great tournament, finish that off, and with the assist from Rocky Rodriguez, who a new player for the Thorns. I think it will end up being the seminal memory of this tournament if Portland can pull off what they're capable of pulling off at this point. I do want to get some credit where it's due from North Carolina because up until this point obviously Eckerstrom was phenomenal I think Roland was phenomenal in goal for North Carolina stepping in for Steph LeBay and that has to speak for itself in a lot of ways honestly though up until this moment with Morgan Weaver it was kind of Dabinia's day to shine wasn't it 
No question. She is always such an effective forward that whenever she has the ball, you're nervous, and rightly so. I mean, her shots were lethal. Again, I don't know how Eckerstrom did it because she had phenomenal shots. She has a Mm -hmm. way of just finding holes in the back line. She's so good on the ball. If you're a Courage fan, of course, you're gutted about this loss, but they were the best team in the tournament, no question. And they were and, they were the better team in this match, but the yeah. scoreline went against them. But they were phenomenal. Absolutely. I think as I was watching Dabinio, she's crafty at an elite level, right? She's very much like a Kristen Press or like a Tobin Heath who can just make art with the ball that a lot of players can't. What amazes me, her shot speed off a of pivot is unreal. And there yeah, were so many right. moments from the top of the box that I was like, how does that not go in? Speaks to Eckerstrom's skill level. But it was that classic game of inches where I feel like Dubinio was so much fun to watch, and she definitely was someone that Portland's defense had nowhere to stop. It's almost as if they finally were just leaning on, listen, we need Britt to take care of this, and we're just going to focus on the other nine players. Usually you have the technique players, and then you got the players that are kind of the power shot players, right, in terms of forwards. And she's just this really unique combination of both. Even some of those longer shots are just rockets but she can also manipulate the pitch and find her way, find her space in the attacking third. She's a really unique player in that regard. Absolutely. Now, before we move on to to the rest of our lineup, I do want to ask what might be a tough question at this point, because we haven't really had time to look forward to the future. We have an expansion draft coming up. My question for you, Mike, quite honestly, is, is this the last we're going to see of this brand of the North Carolina Courage, I expect them to still be very competitive and potentially a favorite, but are we at the final chapter or beyond for a dominant era for the Courage? That's a great question. They've dominated the NWSL for the past three years. It's hard to even think about a world where they don't. But that being said, to see them go in the quarterfinals when they were the heavy favorite to win the whole tournament, highly unexpected. Like you said, the expansion draft is coming. They're a team that has done a good job at keeping their core roster together. That stability has helped their chemistry a ton. I don't know what happens when expansion teams kind of come for some of their players. You can only protect so many, right? I'd be moderately worried if I'm the Courage. Not overly, because they're also a team that has an insane amount of depth. They're a ridiculously deep team. I think it could be a turning point for them. I feel like we're heading into a case with the Courage, and this is going to sound weird, because obviously their their top players have always performed, but there's going to be a reliance on them that's going to be heavier than it's been before. You know, when you look at, if you can keep your top two to three players, Crystal Dunn, Shulin Williams, and so forth, probably add LeBay to that list, add Abby Ursaig to that list. It just goes beyond. But it's that idea of a lot of those players have obviously played phenomenally well. I think a situation you'll see with Carolina is going to be, obviously, their elite-level players, their top three to five players have obviously performed really well throughout this run. There will be a heavier reliance on them in the sense that when you have such deep roster, you can kick back a little bit and step forward when it's absolutely needed. We've talked about Carolina and Portland just as much as we can. Obviously exciting, biggest upset of the tournament, huge moment to kick off the quarterfinal, a lot to be excited about. Mike, this was then immediately followed by three scoreless ties. Yes, yes. What's your general feeling about that? Just as far as the overall, you know, environmental impact of this, you had four quarterfinal games, you had one regulation goal. It's just not, I'm an inexperienced fan in comparison. You have more experience than I do, but it feels like a bad look. Am I wrong in thinking that? 
I don't think you're wrong. There's an expectation in American sports that maybe that's a reason that soccer hasn't caught on as much in America as it has in the rest of the world in, in that scoring typically isn't as high. But that being said, we're in the later stages of this tournament and goals just aren't happening. We started out at a point where you remember the first several preliminary matches. Scoring was really high. I particularly remember the 3-3 draw between the Dash and the Royals. Two competing theories. A, defenses have stepped up. They've studied each other. They know how to shut down opposing attacks. Or B, is fatigue setting in? This is a tight schedule. Not a lot of room for recovery. I don't know what's going on there. Maybe both. But... The scoring has really ground down to a trickle. You've seen defensive efforts. You've obviously, keepers are playing at an an inhuman level. But I think a lot of it too is you're looking at teams that they got to Utah four days before this whole thing kicked off. And obviously they've been spending time prepping before that, but they had four days to get used to the facility, rehash their strategy to look forward to the entire schedule and then jump into this, which plays a role in that. They've been trying to manage minutes they've been trying to lead forward on that but i do want to hit on the point that you made which is not even immediately about the score i get your thought on the american sentiment of sports but i would say even if these three games ended four to five six to three and 14 to 15 i still think portland and north carolina would have been the most exciting game some elements of the game felt indicative to that score first and foremost all four of these games didn't see a goal in the first half and that's a pattern we've seen across this entire tournament really rare to see players score in the first half All but four of the matchups in the early round in the quarterfinal together were shutouts. There's only so much you can control out of that with players. And obviously there was a lot of high level skill. I I will say one thing that I noted, especially with teams that weren't able to put things together completely and the three teams who lost a pattern I saw across all these games, if I'm being honest, was overthinking their roster, getting a little, I'd call it cute with how they set things up because I wonder if certain teams made decisions that just seemed common sense. Maybe we don't end up in as many PK scenarios and there's teams that are able to put together in regulation. It's hard to tell. We'll go into this in order of when these games happened. Obviously there's storylines throughout. As a league, we've saw one PK back in, I believe it was 2016. And then we had three in the matter of a day and a half. If you're a fan of PKs, then I mean, open wide, you had a good full meal. Let's jump into, and obviously this is no fun for Steve. The Houston Dash defeated the Houston <laughs> Royals. Three PKs to do. I talk about this again with the lineup discussion with Utah. I didn't see a reason why you don't give Sierra King her shot. It was indicative to once she dropped into the 65th minute, the level she was playing at, the fact that she was only one of two of your players to actually score on a PK. There was a lot about this game that was that was a tough watch for old Steve. I think it was a frustrating game for everyone. I don't care which team you're cheering for. This, this was a gritty, ugly, chaotic match until the final penalty. Yeah, there were six yellow cards. Yeah, the biggest surprise was that no one got sent off in this match. Two were within the first 10 minutes, Abby Smith and Christy Mewis. Then he went Kate Bowen, Ciara King, which became a, probably the meme of the last two nights. Corsi, and then Alyssa Chapman capped it off. He had six yellow cards. This was a chippy game almost from start to finish. You're the Royals fan here. I don't think these teams like each other. Am, am I wrong? I, I'm going to say they probably aren't going down the road to Traverse Mountain to shop for Converse together. They're probably not getting lunch at Cafe Rio down the street. <laughs> They're not buddies. And also because of that, it probably led to why Houston Dash responded as if they themselves won the World Cup after this got over with. And you know what? You win the quarterfinal. The Dash have never won a knockout round game before, so that's huge for them. I'm not going to bash on the on the celebration, but I remember watching it. It's funny the juxtaposition of these three PKs. You had the Dash who had this monumental celebration capped off with the Red Stars. 
who Alyssa Nair was legitimately trying to get her team to stop celebrating. Just like, guys, no, really. Like, I loved that image. <laughs> because this game, the way I like to think about it, it almost felt like Houston didn't win this as much as they survived it. And it's just going to be like a last woman standing type of scenario. And as a fan... Not, not just metaphorically, literally yeah. the last woman standing. As a fan of the Royals, I obviously... You have a natural inclination as a fan of a team and your team loses an important game to want to find the moral high ground and you want to look at the other team and be like, oh, well, they played dirty and they played with attitude and I don't respect that problem. was like, anything I can blame the Dash for, you have to blame the Royals for. That's what this night, four of the six yellows were against Utah. This is one of those cases where it felt like it was just going to be arbitrary and we're going to see who survives. And it came down to the fact that, man, if you got Jane Campbell on goal, you're probably going to win penalties, aren't you? Jane Campbell was brilliant, and she's a great goalkeeper. She's had something of a shaky tournament. She's been caught way off her line. There were some not great moments in what is a great career, but when it came to penalties, Jane Campbell showed up. Like, phenomenal effort. And once you get to penalties, it's almost a coin toss. The shooter just has a ridiculously high advantage. And the keeper, yeah, you read signs, but a lot of it's just guessing. If my numbers are correct coming out of this match, now Campbell has saved if something like 12 for 18. Those are just, like, insanely high numbers. Yeah. Just... It's, yeah. Once this was clear, this was going to PKs, really just felt like, well, this is over. That's nothing against Abby Smith, who I thought played a phenomenal game and goal, but it's that differential level of experience and what makes it tough. I will say, as someone who supports the Royals, that it sucked because you want your team to win, but at the same time, this was a team that could not pull a goal together in over four hours of soccer. And that's where a lot of this got frustrating on their end. My thought process here is I like this roster as it's constituted. I like what Craig Harrington has done with a lot of decisions. I think things pick up a lot differently, of course, when you have Desiree Scott healthy again, when you have Kristen Press in this roster, you know, when you're able to to put the pieces together the way that you would hope them to be. I, I expect this team to, to continue to be a team that performs. Sierra King needs to have as many minutes as she wants. And you're looking at the next star of this club. I understand that she, you know, coming in, she's a rookie. You maybe test her out, see how she does. But she's shown in this tournament and was one of their better players, no question. Maybe maybe you use her as like a super sub early on, but I felt like she earned a starting spot. Utah's one of those teams that feels like they're a piece left or right that could really propel them into a, a contention spot. And in this case, it just didn't go their way. There were a lot of things to be excited about. These were teams that had the best opening game of the of original round of games. They were well matched. It came down to the penalties. Now, looking off at the dash, obviously, they survived through penalties. This is an ugly matchup for both teams. This is a team that can score at a dangerously quick pace if they can put things together. We've now talked about these first two teams. We're going to see number eight Portland and number four Houston in this final matchup. Portland has had a hard time putting things together. They finally really got things to click defensively and were able to, to get that definitive fever pitch goal that they've been looking for this whole time upset the number one seed houston started things off red hot seemed to cool off were able to survive this and move on who in your mind is the favorite in the semifinal matchup when the thorns played the courage that was the best they played all tournament i don't know if that's indicative of where they're at where they're going to continue to play if it is then i give them the advantage absolutely but we also saw them play four matches with very few goals and zero wins I'd say advantage Thorns, but it very much depends which Thorns team shows up. Because like you said, the Dash can be a very explosive team, a very quick team. I don't know if the North Carolina match just took everything the Thorns had or if they'll be ready for more. 
I know Mark Parsons, just from coaching on the sidelines, looked exhausted after the fact. Hard not to. I'd say advantage Thorns, but they're still the eight seed. And they've still only won one match. It's going to sound arbitrary, but I feel like you almost have to naturally give the favorite spot to the Thorns because they put the ball in the net. There's something to be said for like finding that mojo and having that definitive win can push things up, especially a team that Mark Parsons, who is a phenomenal coach, you have a team in the Thorns who have an expectation to win. That's the type of spark that could really kick them off. So I see them really potentially being the favorite in just about any matchup when you look at the rest of these teams lined up right now. I got to counter a little bit because predictions are just completely up in the air because Houston is the only team that was the higher seed that won their match. That's an astute point. And so now you have this weird place where you almost want to call the lower seed. Maybe we just wait until predictions until we just see who the pride pick. The curse is real. Superstition around this tournament is really just snowballing at this point. It's snowballing because it keeps proving to be true. Are the pride, the pride stand account obviously cursed? Is the slide cursed? Will we see another goal again? Is obviously you're moving into Rio Tinto. Is the far off slide that's over in the fan concourse just outside of the stadium? What if someone constructs a bouncy house slide, an inflatable slide somewhere, or even a slip and slide? There's room for something like that. There's going to be other parody accounts that are going to grow out of this. Someone is going to like excavate a hole in the back walls of the like the west side of the of Rio Tinto just so there's a glare we have to be able to have a glare when you're looking at the semifinal match between Houston and Portland what are the biggest question you're hoping to answer that helps you get a feel for where this is going to go well you brought up a point about who has the ability to score I think Houston has a more proven track record but I think my eyes are going to be on Portland's defense can they pull off another miracle like they did against the courage if they can contain someone like Rachel Daly or some of the other weapons that Houston's shown you know someone like Shea Groom or even Christy Mewis then then I think they'll be okay that makes a lot of sense to me and that's kind of my thought process there is we haven't seen much out of Rachel Daly in a few matches she's played well she's been a solid distributor she's gotten in some decent scoring situations but has been able to find things are we finally going to get to a point where that is going to manifest itself effectively to where she finds a chance to score. And that's where things come off of. I think the other side of it is you were able to get success out of a rookie at some point within the next two two matches, potentially Portland needs to see something out of their veterans that puts them ahead. If Lindsey Horan's healthy enough to play, is that who we see it out of? Who in this case is going to step up to support them? There's a handful of that. I'd say the biggest pivotal player for me, and again, this comes down to health because a lot of players have had a lot of bangs and bruises here and there is Shea Groom. I think Sheep's probably my favorite scorer of this tournament. Not just to have one of the best goals, but has been one of the most competitive scorers, has put herself in some of the best situations, seems to be in the middle of everything. Yeah, she's a tough player that can drive their pace a lot of times. And that's kind of where this gets interesting to me. Yeah, that could be a real battle in the upper midfield. Absolutely. That's where it becomes an interesting case. But let's go ahead. I think there's a lot more that we can hit on this, but we might as well jump right into it. We'll predict this, and then we'll head into the next two matches before the second semifinal. Portland Thorns upend the courage and make their way into the semifinal. You have the Houston Dash, two very interesting squads that could come in at different levels of product. But when all is said and done, Mike, who is going to be the first finalist of the Challenge Cup? I'm going to give it to Portland. They pull off another 1-0 victory. Perfect. 1-0 to Portland. I just am feeling Portland as well. I'm feeling that there's going to be a level of confidence that's going to propel them here. I expect I'm going to call out something that, if I'm correct, hasn't happened yet throughout this whole tournament. 
I'm calling the dash to score first. I'm expecting the Thorns to win this 2-1. Okay. I can see Daly or Groom sneaking in an early goal, but we haven't really seen a come-from-behind narrative. I feel like this is the type of place where that sort of thing lives. I could see that. We'll take it from there. So we've got the the Thorns on both sides here. Mike, you've got the Thorns 1-0. I've got the Thorns 2-1. Let's move on to these next two matchups because it feels a lot of the same from the previous matchup, right? The Spirit fall to Sky Blue, who are a freaking semifinalist team. Who expected to see that when all of this kicked off? Sky Blue winning four penalties on three. This, I think, had a little bit more firepower behind it. The biggest thing about this day is the main narrative here was just questioning roster moves. I did look up quotes from Richie Burke in his post-game interview. Apparently, Rose Lavelle was on a 30-minute restriction from U.S. soccer. He had no choice in the matter. And it changes things a little bit in that note. But at the same time, I think you did obviously have a lot of people rolled out that were put in situations to still be successful. I still don't understand. I mean, obviously, Washington suffered without their dominant midfield. They lost Andy Sullivan, which was real heartbreaker. We definitely saw that hole that she left. Rose Lavelle, limited minutes. Jordan DiBiase, we didn't see much of. One of their greatest strengths just wasn't on the pitch. I think they still look good as a team. The Spirit were the dominant team. So it's not Mm -hmm. to say that they played poorly, but it became a lot more well-matched, and Sky Blue was able to probably put up more quality chances than Spirit were. In a lot of places during this match, loved Sky Blue's attack. There's been a level of energy they've brought out. I think if you Manu is probably one of the main culprits of this. I just can't help but point out, I just feel like we almost don't get to penalties if we give Mitch Purse more of an offensive shot. It feels like you picked up a player knowing that she was an offensive threat. Feels like she's playing more of a pure defensive role. She, she's one of those really versatile players, not too dissimilar from like a Crystal Dunn, where you can play her anywhere on the pitch and she'll be successful. She's just that adaptable. I love that about her. That being said, she has so much ability to push the ball forward and drive the pace. And I don't mind seeing her as an outside back, kind of in like a Kelly O'Hara kind of model, where she pushes up quickly and can be an attacking threat, but still have a defensive presence. It seemed like they were using her largely as a true defender. While she performed really well, I thought that kind of limited her potential. Do you wonder if Pulse's status with U.S. soccer might lead to this? Is there any chance that like she's being prepped for a potential slot on the U.S. team? And you have Latko sitting on his throne, thumb up, thumb down. Got yeah. his diary. You know, she's always been a player that's kind of on the bubble there. And I, I think she got called into camp, but there was an injury situation. So she's always been right there. I think she's a player that's going to continue to improve. I'd love to see Sky Blue give her more of a chance. That's that's a possibility that the club is playing her in a position where she might play for the national team. Exactly. Now, I think the next thing, obviously, this is the second of three games that went to penalties. This was another game that was a battle of great keepers. It was interesting to me who ended up running out Victor in this. What does it got to feel like to be the keeper that outlasted Aubrey Bledsoe? <laughs> it doesn't happen often, right? I'm not trying to downplay Kaylin Sheridan at all. There's a reason she's in the situation that she is in. But I feel like, and this is on top of Nair being the number one option for Team USA and a lot of other great keepers in their own light, Steph LeBay. I mean, you can go up and down the list, right? There's been so many great performances. I feel like I walked out of a special essays thing, pound for pound, Arby Bledsoe's the best keeper in the league. Yeah, when this match was late and there were no goals being scored, I just realized that, wow, this is going to be a showdown between two of the best and most 
underrated keepers in the league. No question. I mean, Bledsoe, we've talked about before, but Kalen Sheridan, too. Neither of these keepers are outdone very often. And I would probably say this was the most exciting of the the penalties. You had a 4-3 tie. You went 2-2 from those first four shots. And then from there, it gets fun. Domi Richardson, her shot saved. Stipe misses. You had a score from Zerboni, a score from Thomas. Liz Eddy gets the winner. Bailey Feist, who scored previously, gets blocked out by Sheridan for the win here. I think this was an example of why pushing penalties, doing away with extra time, was a choice for player safety, given the circumstances and the fact that it was going to be 100-degree weather in July in Utah. All of that is respectable. I think it's a little frustrating because you want PKs to be this novelty that makes the game exciting. It's a little frustrating when there's three of them in a 24-hour period. This was a case where actually I think it was fun you got to see the best out of a lot of teams and what they could put out. You definitely saw the best out of these teams. Keepers, my thought about this is so many circumstances have put Sky Blue in the situation they're in. I don't think it's outlandish to say they're easily the most unlikely of the teams in the semifinal situation. Do you chalk this off to Sky Blue's ability being a good team and their ability to get to this point? Or is it a circumstantial thing? I think the easiest way actually to ask this question, Mike, did Sky Blue win this game or did Washington lose it? Oh, that's a great way to phrase it. Technically, both are correct i think washington was missing enough key pieces that they didn't play up to their normal level and i think sky blue outplayed the level that we've we've seen from them we've seen highs and lows from them in the preliminary round no one had very high expectations to them coming into this they're playing without carly lloyd mal Pugh, caprice didasco so i don't think anyone had very high expectations but then when it came down to this matchup they were pretty well matched it was very back and forth no team controlled the possession pretty evenly matched and really just came down to the last of the penalties it says a lot about the direction sky blue was heading Because we both had Washington pegged as maybe a dark horse to win this tournament. And they're a team that has so much young talent that I think they're going to be a threat for years to come. I love this Washington side. But I think Sky Blue really made a statement that in their whole rebuilding process, maybe they're further ahead than people thought. And that's a good point here, especially with the structure of this tournament, where if you make a little bit extra of progress, it can actually put you a lot more forward than if you were to play a full season. I look at a a lot of these young players and you see that young and hungriness and also often when young players of this caliber come to a team that's not been effective and successful over the last few years they don't have the disadvantage of memory sometimes putting that level of good players on a team it helps you because they don't have the baggage of before. And and you look at a lot of these players, and some of them have been on the roster. I look at what Diomono has been doing, Paige Monahan. A lot of these players have found ways to simply say, listen, right here, right now, let's put ourselves in the best situation. And Kaosumi's been one of my favorite to watch because of that. It, the energy has been infectious. They're one of those teams that feels very well put together in a lot of cases. And even though they couldn't put things together in regulation this time, it's hard for me to say you could put it past them. I don't think you can rule out Sky Blue in the semifinals throughout this matchup. Because right now I'm looking at these four teams. I don't know how you can definitively pick a favorite. It's almost impossible. It seems very impossible. With that, we're going to move on to the final quarterfinal matchup. 
The Chicago Red Stars defeating OL Reign 4-3 in penalties. This one had a bit of a different tune to it because I feel like these both teams put themselves in much better situations to score throughout the day. This was another phenomenal case of players and goal. You have the, you know, Nair and Casey Murphy is always a fun matchup, but you're looking at teams that shots on goal is only 72. It amazes me that Chicago only had two shots on goal because it felt like they were able to find good opportunities. Seattle, or sorry, excuse me, OL Reign, probably not Seattle anymore. They're, they're from France. I think there were a lot of impressive performances in both teams put themselves in situations to score it just didn't really work out on either side but this was another one where there was some questionable moves on each end having your attacking third led by savannah mccaskill backed up by killia watt i'm not sure on that that being said this match i really enjoyed because it was really beautiful football i i think of the three matches that went to penalties this one was by far the most open and fluid and there was a lot of creative play that i enjoyed but you're right it just never found the back of the net watt had really good opportunity where she was weaving back and forth right in front of goal and somehow didn't convert the opportunity. There was a header from Sofia Huerta for the rain that somehow didn't make it in. There were really good chances and really good things happening. The movement was so much more beautiful in this match than the previous two. So it's almost surprising to me that this one went to penalties. It really was. It wasn't that their attack was poor, and they definitely did some great things with with their back line and their midfield. I mean, Julie Ertz was everywhere on the pitch. Really strong performance from Sarah Gordon. Casey Short had some really bright moments, but they maybe struggled a little bit in the attacking third. I look at how a lot of this lines up, and you know, now with the hindsight of, of looking at some of these roster decisions, player safety has really shifted a lot of the decision making. It sounds like U.S. Soccer has has really put a thumb down on a lot of things. However, you spin it, these were two very evenly matched rosters, almost no matter where you put it. I mean, these were two playoff teams. Which the Red Stars in Portland are the only playoff teams from last year that are in this lineup. One one thing I wanted to say for the rain is the difference that Jess Fishlock makes in their roster is just palpable. She has such a clear vision and has a way of directing their movement in the midfield. She can push forward. She was gone with injury for a long time, just finding her way back to the pitch, I believe, in the last match. It's amazing to me what the difference she makes for that rain roster. And especially when we didn't see someone like Allie Long who's usually such a big presence in the midfield. For sure. And I think there was a definite energy to the team. Ali Long was playing a good leadership role outside of the starting. You could definitely tell that she was rallying the squad together, and that was indicative to a lot there. But Chicago drops in just every goal opportunity they had in PKs. They score four straight. This is interesting. Shirley Cruz misses the first rain goal, and then, of course, Lauren Barnes misses the final one. There were scores in between. We talked about it a little bit, but we have to hit this again because it just amazes me. Alyssa Nair's response to this was so interesting to me. It's it probably my favorite image of the entire thing. When you go back and watch the reaction to Lauren Barnes, essentially, I would almost say airball. You know, she tries to she tries to make a curve in the back corner and it just didn't cut the way as intended. So barely even made it to the post. And so Nair looked like she was going in for the save, but it really was just a miss. Outside of that, Nair, there's a miss on the first shot. She lets three go. The rest of the team's coming to celebrate with Nair because they made it to the semifinal. And you legitimately watch her pushing her hands toward the ground like, no, guys, let's not let's not do this. I didn't actually save any shot. There's so many players that this is why everyone should be an NWSL fan. There's so many players that emit so such unique levels of coolness 
It's like a Brian from the Breakfast Club level of coolness. There's something about it that was pretty cool because it's that idea of like, yes, you can be humble. You can try to not celebrate. But the fact of the matter is you're still potentially the best keeper in the world right now. And so we know what a listener can do in goal. I mean, she yeah. she's the reason that the U.S. didn't find an early exit from the yeah. World Cup last year. She's phenomenal, yeah. but yet she didn't have to make a save. There were two yeah. misses from the rain. And that's the difference in this match. Because the rain, for the most part, outplay the Red Stars in the run of play, right? Pretty evenly matched, but I'd say the rain had the edge there. But missing two of your penalties, you can't come back from that. No, just a tough position that you put yourself in. Because, you know, you know you played your best. And especially yeah. a player like, you know, Lauren Barnes to have that final shot. Because she's been the key to, to the rain's defense and how stifling it's been. And so you're really gutted for her and sad that it has to end on that note. But you can't miss two penalties and come back from that. No, most certainly not. You know, when I look at that that Nair moment, by the way, I, the thought that I came to mind as you were explaining it was I thought of Parks and Rec when Leslie's running for city council and she asks Anne to be her campaign manager. And she says, you know pressure. You once resuscitated a heart with your bare hands. And Anne says, no, I haven't. And Leslie just goes, you haven't? You will. You're that good of a nurse. That's how I felt <laughs> almost the response to Nair was where she's like, guys, I didn't actually make any saves. You didn't? You will. <laughs> you're listening there like you will you would have you would have if they came at you you'd have you'd have saved him i like chicago squad i think they have the potential to find their footing if you were to look at this lineup at the beginning of the tournament it's easy to say like chicago might be the favorite outside looking in but we have the hindsight of watching what this team has struggled to put together throughout the tournament they're coming up against a Sky Blue team that seemed very unlikely to see success and has completely performed at an impressive level. Let's talk about this fun matchup. The Red Stars and Sky Blue, I think, have potential to be a really, really exciting matchup in the semifinal. As you look at things, where do you have this going? This is a wild card. Wow. I'm going to go with Chicago. I think that they have some of those players that have played just at the highest level of pressure that really show up when they need to. Look at Julie Ertz's performance in this last match. They have shown inconsistency and have been shaky at moments, but they have such a solid core that I think will show up. I'm, I'm going to pick Chicago. I'm going to go 2-1. I've been conservative with my selections for a while now. And I'm just tired of waiting. Sky Blue are going to the finals. Go for it. I, yes. Uh, Anamanu has, I think, played phenomenally, has had a lot of great scoring chances. And I'm just ready for her to get one. I'm ready for her to have her moment. I expect if Yanamanu to put the go ahead 1-0 for Sky Blue. And I expect her to run out of the stadium, past the East Concourse, out of the front gates, down into the, the fan party section that's off to the left as you enter the stadium, to the back of the tables and into the small playground that has four walking pods, a swing, and a large swooping slide. That's how I expect her to bake all of that effort, and it's going to be great television. There may not even be cameras out there. I honestly think this will – I feel Sky Blue's energy. I want to see something extra cool happen. Plus, we need to have a differentiating prediction in our semifinals. So that's a part of this as well. But also, I like what Sky Blue has been able to put together, and I could see them rolling this momentum into the finals. So I'm going to have some fun. I'm going to call Sky Blue to head to the finals because who doesn't love a little chaos? I love it. And if it's anything like the rest of this tournament's gone, you're probably right. That all said, Mike, you've got the Thorns and the Red Stars in the finals, which is a rematch of the semifinal from last season. 
That's uh, right. I myself have the thorns in sky blue, which the fact that that's even possible is pretty amazing. By the way, if that's correct, that's the seven eight matchup. Wow. It would be the seven eight. That's such a story right there. My one last question about sky blue red stars is is there anything we can do to convince the nwsl to let them both play their colored jerseys oh i hope so is there any way that we can get the red stars neighborhood jersey and sky blues black top together i mean you're going to be able to differentiate teams i love both of those kids yeah let dash thorns do it why not have some fun Halloween in july you have especially sky blue and the thorns i just we so badly need to see those jerseys at least one more time oh they're gorgeous yeah in fairness to all of us those are the real stars of the tournament absolutely they are no disrespect to the red stars who are literal stars i love their neighborhood kits yeah yeah i think the three best kits from this tournament have found their way into the semifinal and something has to be said about that is it a coincidence probably not houston's dark orange kit is pretty nice too it is decent. The Thorns Red Stars and Sky Blue brought some really strong kits to this thing. You couple that with whoever Orlando is going to be predicting, and then I think it speaks completely for itself. We've talked a lot about superstitions, obviously, and we've talked a lot about parody accounts. We have our final predictions in. I have one last question about this Challenge Cup that I think we need to get out now before we roll into the rest of this tournament, into the final week of the NWSL in the year 2020, Mike. This is a tough one. This is one I'm, I think you're going to need to put some focus on because it's going to be hard one to answer. But Mike, what's the best commercial of the Challenge Cup so far? Yeah, I still don't know what the secret deodorant commercial says, but it's been stuck in my head as I fall asleep every night. I know that $5 footlongs are there too like it's just all over my consciousness okay i actually had to look up those lyrics it all centers around the phrase all strength no sweat right so it's 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 the jesse reyes song so it's all strength we ain't stopping believe me go straight till the morning don't like me is what what lyric fine tells me hope whoa wait yeah we're taking everything we want and we can do it all strength drums no sweat that one's been catchy that one gets you going. I like the energy of it. Piled high with veggies can be shot right into the sun. That one drives me nuts. Along, along with the sandwich emoji. Here's what I'm saying. The secret one stands out to me. There's a couple others that stand out to me. But I mean this. At least three different times in the shower this week, I suddenly find myself, I'm lathering up, I'm doing my thing, and I very naturally hear myself go, Matthew, says to bring it back. The five dollar foot long. Like I wanted Subway. Pile it just high with veggies. Charlie Puth, yeah, just it's back, man. Sandwich emoji. It got me. It just got me. This is just a byproduct of streaming. This happens with any streaming service. You okay? When this tournament is over, how long is it going to take for these commercials to get out of our heads? Probably weeks, right? It's probably going to be up until just the next season starts. The interesting thing to me too is. We have the Super Bowl and we have like March Madness. Those are the events that are most known for creative commercials. My favorite thing about the Challenge Cup has been, man, did you guys see this very normal commercial that's come up a hundred times? It's different from the case of high budget, $2 million crazy commercial. And just like, no, what's been the discussion is, hey, they brought in Charlie Puth to sing about sandwiches. That's something. Hey, did you know Secret makes deodorant? I bought a bunch of it. Yes. The fan, the supporter environment and what has been brought into the Challenge Cup has made it as fun as it has. 
and it doesn't help. And listen, I've tried to spend all this time without slamming the, the MLS because that's not our job. Challenge Cup is just such a better name than MLS is back. If this was the NWSL is back cup tournament. No, no, you're, you're, you're it's not been, wrong. It's been that's... exciting the idiosyncrasies that have made this whole thing fun outside of soccer. And one of them is actually like, when it comes down to it, Challenge Cup is just a really sleek name. And I appreciate it. You can do this every year if you want to. If this becomes a preseason tournament or a club invitational, you can do that. When can you do MLS is back again? Technically at the very start of every year, but does it make it that fun? Like, well, it's the tournament we have when it's back. Next pandemic. <laughs> we'll keep that in our playbook. The, the next time the next time Harold Camping announces a rapture, we'll that's right. We'll, we'll do another tournament. No. We've we've talked a lot of weird branding. We've got a lot of different directions. I think it's because we've just we've watched so much soccer in the last few weeks and we have so much more to go, which is exciting. But Mike, next week is definitely gonna be a big week for women's sports. And this leads to really the next episode that we'll be running into. We have the final two rounds of the challenge cut, the semifinals on Wednesday, the final Saturday. This runs right in with the kickoff of the WNBA season, which will be kicking off on the 25th, right around, I think, the day after or the day before, sorry, the final of the NWSL Challenge Cup. With the WNBA lead up, there's a lot to be excited about. Putting a cap on the NWSL season, there's a lot to be excited about. It's going to be a really fun week for Fantastic Women's Sports Contest. To celebrate this, what we've decided to do is we're going to be partnering with our comrades over at WNBA Weekly, and we're going to have a crossover episode next week, a mega episode. We're going to have all of the hosts from each show, myself, Mike, Kyle Haywood, Logan Jones. We're going to be getting together and doing a fun episode. We're going to talk about the important impact of women's sports, its importance during this pandemic era, and then, of course, looking forward to predicting the early games of the WNBA season and the season as a whole, putting in our final predictions for the Challenge Cup final. And that's going to include arbitrary predictions from our friends over at WNBA Weekly and, and seeing what they can contribute to the conversation and just having a good time and enjoying both sports. Obviously, it means you're going to have to hear more of me. Anyone who's listened to both these shows are probably tired of hearing Steve's voice. But Mike, uh, I think this is going to be a fun opportunity. This is our own little Flintstones meet the Jetsons moment. Yeah, I'm really excited for this. We've done this end wsl show i'm a big fan of the wnba show i'm really excited for this to happen i'm really looking forward to it i would say overall though this is definitely the week to invest in women's sports if you have friends if you have anyone who has been clamoring that i can't wait till sports is back get right in their heads this is when to do it and this is definitely time to start it and, and supporting women bumping them up giving them the respect support and viewership that they deserve on top of the fact that the challenge cup final is going to be on cbs you're going to have network broadcasting opportunities for all of this outside of the semifinal you don't even need to worry about the all access app if you don't want to do whatever you can spread it worldwide make this a great week where we get to celebrate some of the most exciting women's athletes here in the us of a and beyond so can't wait for that. We're excited to send that off to you. But as we roll in to the end of the Challenge Cup and everything else that surrounds with it, just can't wait to watch it. We can't wait to talk about it with you. But until we get to that point, thank you so much for listening to this episode of NWSL Nation. Until we talk to you again, I'm Steve Schwartzman. I'm Mike McPhee. And we will catch you next time. Bye.